So we pick up this uh, story we've been looking at. Uh, we've been going through the book of John uh, as a church. We've been going through the book of John since we started last year at this time. Last year at this time, uh, a, a small group of maybe 15 or so people sat in a circle in this room. And it was our, it was our walk through Sunday. It was our first time in the building. And then uh, next week will actually be our, our one year here uh, at Walker. And since then, we've been going through the book of John. And so we've only made it to John 18. We were in the Last Supper, which was this dinner uh, with the disciples, uh, Jesus's guys and Jesus around this table in Jerusalem. We were there for, I don't know, eight weeks, 10 weeks, somewhere around there. And now the dinner's over. So Jesus, uh, he washed feet. Uh, Judas, one of his disciples, decided he was going to betray Jesus and he left. Uh, and then Jesus went into a, a teaching time with his disciples, and then Jesus prayed for his disciples. And now the supper's over, and they're leaving, and they are heading out of Jerusalem, and they head down the hill. Jerusalem's up on a mountain in the mountains in Israel. They head down the mountain through the Kidron Valley, and, and then uh, in front of the Mount of Olives uh, rises up. And at the foot of the Mount of Olives is a garden. And this is, this is we hear, read about all the time in the New Testament, called the Garden of Gethsemane. This was this garden that Jesus went to all the time. This was sort of his place. This was his place to escape. And so he'd go there by himself. He'd take his disciples there. So Judas knew uh, probably this is a good place to find Jesus. And so Jesus is there with his disciples, and it doesn't take long. And Judas shows up because Judas went... Uh, he got some Jewish authorities, some religious authorities. He got a detachment of the Roman soldiers. And Judas shows up with these guys. And these guys have lanterns and they have swords because what they're thinking is, is we're going to have to hunt down this crew hiding out in the garden. Um, the Jewish authorities were threatened by Jesus in this ragtag group. Um, their way of life, their wealth, their power... Uh, the way things worked. Uh, the Romans just wanted to squash any uprising possible. And both are there to assert themselves with force. Uh, so Judas leads this group in. Um, Jesus comes out to them, which was probably, you know, usually if you're being hunted, um, you're on the run. Uh, but Jesus comes out and comes right before him, uh, confident, boldly. Um, not scared, not timid. He said, who, who is it you want? And they say, Jesus Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And, and then the soldiers sort of stumble backward. And you know, that probably makes them uneasy. It's dark out. They got lanterns. They have swords. They stumble. That's kind of embarrassing. Uh, There's just one guy in front of them. And then Jesus says again, he says, well, who is it you want? They said, Jesus Nazareth. And it's, I am Jesus Nazareth. Let, let, let these guys go. He said, let, let, my, let my friends go. I'm the one you want. Um, deal with me. So we can just picture this scene, right? Like the only light coming in is from the moon. And then they have their lanterns. And the Romans are on edge now because they already fell down once. And they're just not sure what's going to play out. And the Jewish officials have got to just be steaming mad that this little ragtag group, I mean, these guys are from Galilee. I mean, they're not even Jerusalem elites. I mean, these guys, this is just a ragtag group from like nobody towns up north and they're throwing everything off. They just got to be steaming that they even got to be out at night looking for this group. And so the Romans are there to assert themselves with force. The Jewish authorities are there. They're going to assert themselves with force. And then what happens? If you've been around church a while, you know this story, right? Uh, Peter, one of the disciples, he pulls his sword and he slices off part of the ear of 
Malchus. And so that's where we pick up in verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Right? I mean, this is the normal reaction, right? To fight for yourself, your back's against the wall. To fight for yourself. I mean, we've been there. Someone comes after you. They come after your honor. They come after your reputation. They come after your, um, your family, your kid, your wife, your job. I mean, in this situation, it's, it's a miracle. It just didn't turn into a massacre, right? I mean, but Jesus speaks humility immediately into the situation. And maybe you know this moment, this moment of fighting back. Right? So you fight back, so they fight back, so you fight back, so they fight back, so you fight back, so they fight back, so you fight back, so they fight back. And where, where does it end? I mean, when, you, know, you know where it ends. When one, somebody finally puts their sword up. That's what Jesus is saying. Peter, you don't have to fight every time. Put your sword down. So the, the soldiers, they come and they bound Jesus and they, with the Jewish authorities, they take him to Annas' house. And so Annas, this is kind of an interesting part of the story. Annas had been the high priest previously. So they're like the kind of ruling Jewish religious authority. Um, but he's not the high priest right now. It's his son-in-law, Caiaphas. So it shows you sort of like uh, Caiaphas is the high priest, but Annas is carrying a lot of weight and a lot of influence because they take Jesus first to Annas' house to kind of get Annas' view on it. And the scene is in the courtyard of Annas' house and probably sort of a palace, maybe a shared courtyard. And maybe Annas, they're thinking Annas lives in, in part of the courtyard and then maybe Caiaphas lives in another part, just how the text works out. And so uh, Peter and another disciple follow this group to this courtyard. And, and what the other disciple uh, gets in because he knew the high priest. So he gets into the courtyard to kind of see what's going to play out. And Peter's stuck outside and he's, he's out by the door. And then eventually the disciple comes back out to kind of get Peter in. And this is where we pick up in 16. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them warming himself. Now, we don't know exactly why Peter had this denial here. Um, we, we can make some guesses. Uh, maybe he wants to impress the girl. I don't know. There's some class system going on here. But at the end of the day, she's still a girl and Peter's still a guy. Maybe, But at the same time, you're going to, this might not be likely. Maybe fear, probably fear. But at the same time, he was just replying to this, like, worker girl. She just manned the door. But at the same time, there's Jewish authorities in there. He saw Jesus bound. And so he probably, probably fear is playing into this. Maybe Peter just treated it so casually. Like, who, like, like what does this matter? This question from this girl. Like, this just doesn't matter. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And this just sort of shows you, like, like, in one moment in the garden, he defends so heavily that he is willing to fight with the sword, and then in the next moment, he defends none at all. 
I mean, it kind of speaks to how easy it is for us to do this, right? This swing that's in us, that in one moment, we, we will fight, we will argue, we will debate, we will debate and fight for truth and morality and our stance on yada, 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 blah, 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 whatever that issue is, and it matters so much to us, and we will fight and argue unto the point of wounding people, and then in the next moment, we'll swing the other way, and we'll swing out, and we don't even speak at all. Right? Like, like we, as people, we have that capability, even over things that matter a lot to us. So Annas begins to question Jesus in the courtyard. And, and so Annas, the high priest, who had been the high priest, but he's carrying all his weight and influence, he starts to question Jesus directly about his teaching. And Jesus says, hey, I've, I've been teaching um, in the public. I've been teaching secret. I've been teaching the public. And the way that trial should go down is you shouldn't question me. You should be questioning witnesses. So go, go call your witnesses and then let's have a trial and see how this plays out. And one of the other officials doesn't like how he's speaking to Annas. And so this guy hits Jesus. And we pick up in verse 23, and Jesus says, If I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. He's saying, I I know how the legal proceedings play out here, and you're not doing it. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, so his son-in-law. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. And we're thinking at this point, this is definitely fear playing into this. He's seeing Jesus head down this road. He's going, I don't know if I want to head down that way. Verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. He's like, hey, man, you cut off my, (laughs) my buddy's ear. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Okay, so maybe you're here, um, you hear that story, and you say, what does that have anything to do with me? What does that story have anything to do with me? All right, well, let, let, let me make two points about Peter, and then let me make a point about us, and then I'm going to make a point about Jesus. So it's four points, um, and we'll, we'll move through these. Number one, you picked up on it, Peter's volatile, <laughs> I mean, some of this is his personality. We, we kind of always see Peter be volatile. Um, he's always a little emotional. I mean, he's swinging a sword to defend Jesus, and he's denying it the next moment. He's all over the place. So the sense of stability of, like, self and peace and, um, you know, I'm self-control. I mean, this is not something that's playing out in the story in Peter's uh, life. Uh, so when I was 10 years old, we got a cat. The cat was uh, white and black and brown. And so we named the cat Cinnamon, because white, black, and brown. Anyways, all right, so Cinnamon shows up at our house, and Cinnamon was cat, evil cat. I mean, it was the day the cat showed up, the cat was mean, very mean. It didn't help. My friend Houston put Cinnamon in a pillowcase and swung the cat around. We're pretty sure that didn't help. Uh, the cat was mean before. The cat got meaner after, and we don't condone that. That was not a good move by Houston, and he got, like, you know, suspended from our house for a while after that maneuver. But Cinnamon was horrible, mean cat. And then, so if, you know, I'd be 
kind of snuggled up on the couch watching, you know, the 500th viewing of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like on a Saturday, and in comes Cinnamon, and she would walk in, and she'd be purring, she'd be so sweet, and she'd jump up, and she'd snuggle, you know, how the, the cat gets the top of her head and kind of, kind of gets, gets in, and, and she'd snuggle in, and you think, oh, she's had a turnaround, she's so sweet, and she's so precious, and she'd snuggle in, and, and what you knew, what I knew is, is just don't move, like if you move, and, and I was, I'd be scared, because, I mean, my cat, this cat would, would hunt my friends when they came over. Like when they spent the night, I would hear my friends yelling from the other side of the house, like, hey, help, you know, Russ, Miss Mary, you know, come. And the cat would have cornered them, like hunted them down. And they were scared because the cat would attack. And so this cat would get in your lap and nuzzle in and you just knew, just don't move, whatever, and so you just stay perfectly still, but eventually, right, eventually you have to get resituated just a little bit, and you'd resituate just a little bit, and that thing would turn around, it'd scratch you, and it'd bite you, and I mean, my family, we just had mark, and we looked like users for years, and we just had all these markings up and down our our arms for years, and and finally, finally, uh, my mom was the only one that would sit with Cinnamon, and Cinnamon, my mom was the only person that Cinnamon would sit with as well. And so for years, my mom had markings up and down her arms. And everything was great as long as that cat got her way. But as soon as something changed, as soon as my mom uh, went out of town for a night, or just something changed, or she just, you know what, she just moved around too much during TV time at night, the, that cat would go and urinate on my mom's pillow. I'm not kidding. The cat would go and urinate on her pillow, right? The most personal thing you could possibly find. And so what did my mom do? Well, my mom, uh, she just, every time she left the house, she'd put a shower curtain over her bed because she loved that cat. And she cared for that cat. And that cat would be so mean to her. And that cat would urinate on her pillow. And she would just keep loving that cat and helping that cat. And every once in a while giving that cat volume just to help it because it had a hard, that cat had a hard time. Here's my point. Um, No matter where you fall on the line of animal um, rights and stuff. uh, We all know this cat. Or we know this dog. Or we, we, we know this friend. Hopefully not until the points that I just made. Um, we know this coworker. We know this child. What we know is we know this. We know this kind of volatility. We know it in ourselves, right? Like we have this tipping point. We actually can feel ourselves when we get closer to that tipping point. You feel it inside of you. And, and like as a, as a parent or as a roommate or something, it's kind of the point where you're like, you know, what? I need to go for a walk. Like I need to get that. I need to get it back down away from that tipping point. We know this feeling of volatility. And, and this is Peter, this high volatility of this tipping point that I'd swing a sword. Nobody else is fighting, there's a discussion here. There's some intensity. Nobody else is fighting, but I'm going to be the one who swings and then denying. I mean, so much volatility. And you just got to ask, like, what's inside of him? What's going on inside of him that, that would create this? And I'm just supposing, so maybe work with me here. Chapter, in chapter 13 is where Jesus tells Peter, he says, by the way, there's a day coming. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I won't do that. Like, I'm, man, I'm with you. I won't do that. And I just, this week, just started wondering, did all of Peter's insecurity take that word and just, it just stayed in him and twisted in him? 
and messed with, he was carrying that, and then he's just waiting for that moment to prove himself to Jesus. Like, I will prove myself. This need to be proven, to fight even when Jesus is not fighting, has created so much volatility and instability in him. He picks a fight nobody else is fighting. Point number one, uh, Peter is volatile. It leads to point number two, uh, Peter is vulnerable to situations. So some of this is lacking the understanding of what Jesus is doing and how he's doing it, that he's not going to assert himself by force. Um, but by sacrifice. And so some of it has to do with understanding what Jesus' mission is. Um, But Peter's volatility plays in here, right? Because we know this. The more volatile we are, the more vulnerable we become to a situation. And I was just thinking about this all week. And just at some point go, that's me. Like, that is me. That is how I work. The more volatile I am, the more vulnerable I am in a given situation. So that's point number three. You and I, we're Peter. And I hate it. Don't you hate it? Don't you hate that you're that volatile and that vulnerable that you could have these emotional swings in you that, that, uh, uh, you know, a friend's affirmation or a friend's sort of not affirmation could swing you so far, your portfolio increase or your portfolio decrease or your progress at work or your progress at school or you're on the team or off the team could create so much volatility inside of you. And all this volatility creates vulnerability to pull a sword and slice some guy's ear off. And then in the next moment to deny Christ, you're all over the map. And we just hate this battle. And here's the last point. We see it through the whole story. It kind of ties everything together. Um, and it kind of goes back to this story with the, my volatile cat and my faithful mom, uh, is this point. We see Peter and his fickleness in this story, and and then we see Jesus and his faithfulness. Throughout the whole story is what we see. I mean, over and over again in the text, we see Peter saying, yeah, I'm I'm not. Not me. Not me. And we see see Jesus going, I am. You're looking for Jesus? I am. Like, I will be faithful. And Jesus is faithful to God's plan for dealing with our fickleness, our unfaithfulness, our volatility, our vulnerability, and, and to deal with our sin. That's what I'm talking about when I use this word volatility or vulnerability. I'm talking about sin. Maybe you had not been around church and you're not sure how to file that word because you have so much baggage with it. But sin is not just our behaviors. It is that, behaviors that are immoral. It is that, but it's more than that. It's a condition underneath the behaviors. It's the heart position that, that would say to God, you know what? I don't need you. I don't need your way. I don't need you. I don't need Jesus. I can self-save by asserting myself. I can self-save with pleasure. I can self-save with achievement. I can self-save with, uh, with my own religious merit. And I'll keep tabs on that and feel more and more better. And what we see in this story is we see that sin is in the Romans. And it's in the Jews. And it's in Peter. And it's in me. And it's in you. Here's what I mean. If you jump back to verse 11. When Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. So kind of there's one way. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has 
given me. So two things are set against each other, uh, two ways of life, the sword and the cup. And the sword is the image of our volatility and our self-sufficiency. And the cup is the image of his faithfulness and his sufficiency for us. And here's the good news. That cup, um, when Jesus makes this reference, is full of God's righteous wrath toward your sin. You go, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, here's how you feel about it. You walk out of Walmart and some man is um, beating a, a little kid and you know that's unjust. And what you know is you have to do something about it. All the, all the righteousness in you demands you to do something about it. So God in his perfect holiness is demanded by that perfect holiness to do something about injustice. Here's the good news. We don't take the blow that it's in a cup, and God goes, I'll, I'll even take it myself. Jesus comes and he drinks that cup for us. So we don't pay the penalty of our wrongdoing or live in that shame or work our way out of that favor. Jesus drinks the cup, and the cup, here's the good, the cup's empty. Like that cup is empty. There's nothing else for you to drink. There's no drop left for you to drink of your shame or your past mistake or that season of life. There's no drop left for calling you to be your own savior and keep, keep a tabs on how you're doing and how religious you are and how moral you are. There's no drop left. I mean, Jesus is sufficient for you. There's no drop left on a new requirement. No, if I live up to that requirement, then I'll be beloved in God's sight. There's no drop left in that cup. Jesus drank that cup. That's what Jesus is saying. Shall I not drink the cup? That's what the cross is about. He drank the cup. And maybe you hear that, you're here, you say, man, that just sounds really quite religious, that the way out of my volatility and vulnerability would be to look to the risen, uh, the death and the risen of Jesus Christ. You go, man, that sounds so religious. That's so far from anything I would ever come near. What we mean when we say that is say, you're not what you should be. You know that. You're volatile. You're vulnerable. So am I. I'm not what I should be. And I need something outside of me. I need God's grace to me, which we know in Christ. We're like Peter. We're looking for um, some importance and some rest. But it won't come by swinging a sword. And it won't come by you drinking that cup. It only comes by placing, moving faith from yourself into faith in the one who can drink the cup and can drink it all the way to the bottom. So there's none for you to drink. And so you're forgiven and you're free. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for drinking the cup that we cannot drink and we try it. We try to drink it. We love to drink it because it makes us feel good about ourselves. In our pride, it makes us feel good about ourselves, but there's always more to drink. Would we let go of it so that we can place faith in you, that you can drink it, and there's no drop left. You are sufficient for us. And we confess, we're volatile and we're vulnerable, and we're like Peter. We swing in and we swing out, and we are so thankful that we get this story of who you are for us, that you are not fickle, 
And you are not volatile, but you are faithful. Increase our faith that we might trust in you in greater ways. Amen.